turn with me to the book of Isaiah, and we are in chapter 28 this evening. Isaiah 28. All right. Well, Isaiah 28. Hey, um, are you teachable? <laughs> Probably um, preaching to the choir tonight because, well, the Wednesday nighters, so you guys are here to study the scriptures, and that's always a good sign, you know. Um, and uh, fortunately, you know, because we're handling the Word of God, it sort of, you know, trumps all the uh, information we have in our brains. You know, whatever the Bible says, uh, everything else we know is not even close to as rock solid as the rock of the Word of God, you know, and I, I just love the scriptures for that, that it's, it's absolutely true, but the problem is, you know, the older we get, the more stubborn we tend to be. We just tend to be more, um, you know, set in our ways, and <clears throat> we think we know stuff, and um, and it makes me nervous when I read what we're about to read tonight, because here in Isaiah, the people of Israel have become unteachable. They think they know everything. They think they've got it all down. And, um, and so when Isaiah comes along, they think he's stupid. They hate him. And they think that he's talking down to them and being childish, or at least speaking childish words, things that they've already heard, and yeah, 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 whatever. Um, and we're going to see them kind of cop a huge attitude here against Isaiah. But this idea of being teachable, oh my goodness. You know, there's a few things that you should probably um, note uh, if, in, in your own behavior. Um, and that is just to check and see, am I a teachable person? There's a few signs that you can probably watch uh, yourself in uh, if you're not a teachable person. First of all, if, if you never really listen to anyone... Uh, who do you listen to? Who do you just stop and say, if this person's talking, I'm going to listen because there's real wisdom here. Well, Brett, I don't know anybody that's as wise as I am. <laughs> well, that's probably a good sign you're unteachable. If you don't have people that you don't listen to or you, you choose to not submit yourself to, you know, the Bible says we're to submit ourselves one to another. That's what the scriptures say. Um, you know, and, and if you're unteachable, that means you're really not submitted to any authority one of the greatest problems perhaps in our culture right now, this idea of submission to authority or being teachable or, you know, the, the, the problem today uh, with so much of what's going on around us is, is um, nobody's wanting to listen to the other side. Everybody's just screaming and we're, we've determined not to listen to the other side or, um, or talk about things. Um, it's just kind of this uh, yelling match. And then, you know, if somebody actually makes a good point then everybody just resorts to name-calling, uh, you know, and, and um, it's just, it's really kind of pr profound to watch what's going on in our culture at the highest levels of our, of our whole, you know, deal here in America. Um, we've just kind of lost our ability to discuss things. Um, once in a while, it's so refreshing to find someone, and, and honestly, I have to say, someone who believes very differently than I do, I, I actually really do enjoy sitting down and talking to someone, especially if I know they're kind of safe. Uh, I, I'll talk to anyone as, as long as they're not going to just, you know, go off the rails. And as soon as, you know, you make a point and they make a point, then they just start calling you names. 
I think that's why so much of the majority today is so silent about things because they're afraid to open their mouths lest they be called something horrifying. You know, it's, it's interesting because our culture today, um, they go to the worst thing they can think of to call you something, a name or something. And this, this comes from all sides of debate and argument, politics, right, left, uh, you know, is you, you, you resort to the worst thing. I've noticed how many times people call someone Hitler. They're basically Hitler. And <clears throat> somewhat of a, you know, tourist historian, I love studying history, but I've never met anybody like Hitler uh, in history. Uh, Hitler stands alone. Um, I mean, he, who, who could say you're responsible for the purposeful extermination of an entire people group wanting to, uh, you know, genocide an entire nation, gassing Jews, six million Jews like Hitler. No wonder people want to use that as their, you know, lowest common denominator when they call people names. You're a Hitler. Um, and, and I think we throw these terms around too flippantly. Um, you're Hitler or you're fascist or racist. I think that's a term that tends to be thrown around. Racism exists, but I don't think we're helping the cause of racism when everybody's a racist or anybody who has a different view or, or different uh, understanding of things. And as soon as you call someone a racist, that's the end of the discussion. Uh, you can't really go from there. <laughs> that's such a horrifying term, something that no one would ever want to be called. And so I think there's a lot of people that are afraid of talking about stuff in an intelligent and loving and compassionate way where you're just not, you're not really willing to hear it. So suddenly they're racist or they're Hitler or fascist. And, and I don't even think people that are calling those names largely even know what those words mean. This is the case for the children of Israel. Isaiah is trying to speak the word of God. Can you imagine that? Isaiah's got the word of God to give to the people, but they don't want to hear it. One of the things you'll note is you're not a good listener if you're just quick to just chalk people off and not listen to what they have to say. If, if, here's another one. Are you ever changing? Do you ever change your mind about something? When was the last time you changed your mind about something legit? You know, I've found some of my friends that are more intellectual are willing to really bounce around some of those things. I'm not saying the intellectual is the good thing because a lot of times they're the bad thing, but, but intellectually honest and compassionate and loving at the same time and able to talk through those topics, uh, there, there's, there needs to be a willingness to be open to changing. Aren't you glad we're open to a certain degree of changing? Um, you know, um, what do these things have in common? The eight-track cassette? The cassette, the CD, and the uh, Blu-ray, and then the um, uh, Bluetooth, uh, you know, MP3. What are those having got? Well, they're all ways to listen to music or, you know, whatever. And, um, and aren't you glad we changed? Uh, if, if you're old enough to remember, the 8-track tape didn't sound so good, and it was really short, and you didn't get many songs on it. Um, then you got the cassette, which, man, you could put a whole record on a cassette. It was awesome. The problem is you had to flip it over to hear all the songs. Um, and I remember when the auto-reverse cassette came out, and wow, it just flipped by itself. And you could, it was like, oh, it's a miracle. And then the, the real bummer is when your favorite cassette got all tangled up in the machine, and you'd pull it out, and it just would string out. Remember that? And you'd carefully, like you were doing surgery, you know, trying to get the tape out of the machine without it breaking 
Um, because if it broke, you know, good luck getting it all back together. And I, I remember that happened. I just had to cut it out. And I took some tape and taped the two pieces together and cut it with an X-Acto knife and listened to the tape for years later. But you remember with the pencil, you know, rolling the cassette, you know, getting it all in the right spot and everything. I mean, that's how we listen to music. Or, you know, the LPs, the records, those are still actually pretty amazing. When you listen to an LP, it's, I don't know how vinyl can sound. Like, that's a great science, even though it's been around forever. Um, but, but, you know, it is kind of amazing that you can just, you know, with your, I, your iPhone or whatever, turn on some music over the speakers, Bluetooth, and it just kind of is rolling all your music kind of indefinitely uh, and however many songs you want. Like, it's, it's kind of an amazing. Aren't you glad that we're open to certain kind of change? Um, here's my question, though. Are you still on eight-track tape capacity when it comes to your worldview? Uh, or have you been growing in your understanding? Because, see... That's what the, the Bible teaches about. You know, and, and Proverbs is all about that. You know, the wise person, you know, um, the beginning of, of wisdom and knowledge is what Proverbs talks about and how that's, that's what God wants for us is to, to grow and learn. It's the foolish man that shuts down, you know, advice. It's the foolish person that's not willing to listen and hear. And uh, in this current season, I've been really wanting to just be as quiet as I possibly can in some situations. Not because I'm afraid. If you know me, it's, it's, you know I'm not afraid to yak it up and talk about just about anything. <laughs> I have and I will and I continue to up here uh, teaching the Bible. But, you know, lately it's just been interesting just to hear all the different arguments and things people are talking about. But I don't want to be guilty of being really shut down where I'm not actually learning. That's the situation with the children of Israel, and they're wrong, they're completely wrong, and they're not listening to Isaiah. And man, Isaiah has some serious, heavy words for the children of Israel here in this chapter. And so let's take a look here in uh, Isaiah 28, uh, verse 1. It says, Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower which are on the head of the fat valleys of them that are overcome with wine. Behold, the Lord hath a mighty and strong one, which as a tempest of hail and a destroying storm, as a flood of mighty waters overflowing, shall cast down to the earth with the hand. The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, shall be trodden under feet. And the glorious beauty which is on the head of the fat valley shall be a fading flower. And as the hasty fruit before the summer, which when he that looketh upon it seeth, while it is yet in his hand, he eateth it up. Here he says, woe to the crown of pride. The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim. Now, let's talk about who, first of all, Isaiah is talking to. In Isaiah's prophecies, he's usually talking to either Israel or Ephraim. Um, there's the name, you know, it's Ephraim and Israel. Uh, by the way, in the Bible, you'll hear the northern ten tribes referred to as Israel and the southern two tribes, uh, Judah, Israel and Judah. Civil war happened after Solomon reigned and his sons reigned in his stead, and there was a, you know, kind of a civil war. And they were split up. And the northern ten tribes, they call, they call that Israel and the southern two, Judah. But another name for those northern tribes was Ephraim, Ephraim and Judah. And Isaiah employs that. Now, there's other names, by the way. Uh, you'll hear it called Joseph 
Ephraim. Remember, Ephraim was the son of Joseph. You guys that know your 12 tribes of Israel, you know why Ephraim is called Joseph. But, um, but all that to say, um, that's the name of the 10 northern tribes. Now, by the way, I want to give fill in a little gap here. Um, where did the tribe of Ephraim eventually go? Um, the reason I, I bring this up, I've heard people talk about the lost tribes of Israel. And uh, I would warn you about some of the uh, sort of teachings that are out there that get a little wacko. Um, did you know there's a whole um, argument that the, uh, the people in England, the British, uh, you can see it, look it up on Wikipedia or, you know, or uh, encyclopedia of these Israel Brits, the Britain Israelis is what they're called. And they say they're the lost tribes of Ephraim and all this stuff. Now, um, first of all, whenever you hear something about the lost tribes of Israel, I think you should be very skeptical. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, God never loses his tribes, neither did the Jews. Even, this is amazing, what's more amazing is even after the, the 10 northern tribes were dragged off by the Assyrians, remember, Israel or Ephraim, dragged off by the Assyrians, some people say, see, that's where they were lost. Those tribes were never to be heard of again. You never heard of an Ephraimite or, you know, uh, some of these the tribe of Issachar or whatever. They were lost at that point. That's not true, and I'll tell you why. The reason why is, if you recall, during the, the story of the Civil War of the North and the South, there was a large group from the north of the various tribes that uh, realized when Jeroboam, you know, set up his little calf, golden calf places to worship there at Bethel and also at Tel Dan or Dan, he set up two sort of little miniature places of worship so that his people wouldn't go down to Jerusalem and worship at the temple there. So that, you know, uh, Jeroboam made these gods uh, that were very much like what they le learned about in Egypt and said, worship the, these be your gods, you know, worship the golden cow. Like that worked before with Moses and all that, but that's a whole nother story. But these little places of worship, little miniature worship, they said, hey, you guys don't need to go down to Jerusalem. He didn't want to lose his people to Jerusalem. He wanted to keep the Northern separate from the Southern. But the Bible tells us a bunch of those people and tribesmen of all the tribes went down and relocated back down in the southern two tribes because they were unwilling to worship Jeroboam's golden calves and what have you. And they went down and lived there and there was a remnant, if you would, of those various tribes that moved down to the south. So yes, those northern tribes were dragged off and assimilated and they became what is known either as you know Assyrians or they became Samaritans in the land of Samaria. And uh, they were sort of a mixture, and the, the Jews looked at them as half-breeds, half Assyrian, half-Jews, and so they were no longer even considered Jews by the Jews. So when people say the lost tribes of Israel, they're talking about these tribes that were dragged off, but they were lost and assimilated into other countries and cultures. But the, but the remnant of a few were to go back down to Jerusalem to worship in the temple, rightly so. And those tribes were never really lost. They were still down there. I, I need to tell you that because you're going to hear all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and by the way, it wasn't until, you know, we really started getting DNA all figured out. Um, it's amazing how there was a narrative out there that the British are a bunch of Jews. And that the United States, we're all descendants of the Jews. And, you know, the Mormons have this weird narrative of Jews are actually the, um, you know, Incas and the Aztecas in the Central America. And uh, it's, it's like all kinds of crazy claims by the different you know, religious groups and stuff. That's just crazy. Now, and, and the Bible never even says any of that. So when you're outside of the Bible, watch out. Um, but 
But now that we have DNA and all that, we can prove that that's just wacko uh, kind of teaching that people talk about. The reason that's important is when you got the Ephraimites, um, they were a very big powerhouse until the Assyrian Empire came and took them out, the northern ten tribes. And that's largely what Isaiah is talking about. The, the tribe of Ephraim, they would be taken years and years before the southern tribes of Judah. They'd be taken by the Babylonians years later. This, this would happen here uh, right after Isaiah gives this word of prophecy about the Ephraimites. The, the Assyrians would come and do exactly what Isaiah says here. Um, but it would be a few hundred years later um, when the, um, you know, the southern tribes would be taken by Babylon. But all that to say, this is the group that uh, Isaiah is talking about. The, when he says Ephraim, he's talking about the 10 northern tribes there in Israel. And what were they? They were drunk with what? Alcohol? Maybe. But the, the context here seems to uh, suggest that Isaiah is talking about they were drunk with their own intellect and their own pride. They were drunk with their own knowledge of how to do stuff. They were drunk with materialism. They were drunk with uh, prosperity. That's the language here of these first several verses in verses one through four, um, when it talks about, you know, um, you know the Lord uh, you know, is, sees them as a glorious beauty is a fading flower which are in the head of the fat valleys of them that overcome with wine. They're, these people are fat and happy. They're, they're looking good. Everything seems great. But sudden destruction is about to come on them. They're, they're um, like verse 2. The Lord hath a mighty and strong one, which as a tempest of hail and destroying storm, as a flood of mighty waters overflowing, shall cast down to the earth with the hand. This is a description of the Assyrian coming down to destroy and try to wipe out, um, you know, the northern ten tribes of Ephraim and what have you. The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim shall be trodden down underfoot. Um, this is the prophecy that Isaiah has given. No wonder Isaiah wasn't a real popular guy. Uh, nobody wants to be the prophet of doom, but that's what Isaiah is. He's being faithful to what God has called him to say. Um, and that, by the way, lends itself to the days we're living because, you know, the truth is the same kind of destruction is coming upon this earth. Even as Isaiah had to be the guy to warn, you know, the children of Ephraim, the northern 10 tribes, and you guys are going down, you're gonna be trodden underfoot, you're gonna be wiped out. Not a popular subject, but it's still, nonetheless, that was what's gonna happen, and it did. And they were caught unready, unprepared, ill-equipped to deal with the Assyrians. Now, a couple things about this. We know that this is Isaiah, again, with his dual fulfillment of prophecy. Um, Isaiah is talking in, uh, you know, the near application and the far application. Now, by the way, some people say, Brett, how do you know it's the far application? Because I've heard of eschatology that says all this stuff has already happened. It's already been fulfilled. The problem with that is, if you're a Bible student, you'll notice that most of these prophecies have definitely a local application but man, I always kind of try to put it this way, where Isaiah's gaze goes past the local situation and it becomes global. These things were never global in their first application. You know, some people try to say that Matthew 24, when Jesus talked about the end of the world, is talking about, you know, AD 70, when the Roman Empire wiped out Jerusalem. And, um, and I can see why they would suggest that to a degree. But when you read Matthew 24, it's 
Jesus goes much further than just Jerusalem, but the context really goes all over the whole earth, um, starts to be affected by the end of the world that, that the disciples are talking about when they ask Jesus, tell us about the end of the world there in Matthew 24. And so um, that's the thing, you know, you, you can see these prophecies. And by the way, when we get into the book of Daniel, we'll see this perhaps in the clearest view because he'll be talking about one guy like uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, you know, when the Ptolemies and Seleucids were at war and then they came romping through the middle, the, the Israel and, and eventually Antiochus, um, he was called the madman by the Jews, Antiochus Epimanes. They did a play on words with his name saying his name was Antiochus the madman. And uh, it's because he hated the Jews and all that. But, but he, he's a perfect example of what the, this coming world leader that's in the future still, the Antichrist. And we'll see in Daniel how Antiochus is this great picture, something that happened historically that Daniel talks about, but it's also going to happen futuristically. It's a dual fulfillment, a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. In the same way, Isaiah does the same, same sort of dual fulfillment, near and far. You know, the near application, of course, is the Assyrians are coming. They're going to wipe out the northern ten tribes. One of the names of the Antichrist, is called, he's called the Assyrian in the Bible. And he will be the, the same way. He'll want to make war and trod the Jews underfoot, like it says here. And that's going to happen during the tribulation period of Revelation 6 through 19. So you say, okay, Brett, <clears throat> but what does that have to do with us? Well, here's the thing. Isaiah was willing to talk about that and say, here's what's coming down. Here's what the Bible, you know, if you would, here's what the Bible says. He, he could say, you know, Isaiah could say, here's what God says, because Isaiah was a prophet of the Old Testament and he received the word of God for the people. And, um, and he just said it, man, you guys are going down. Well, Brett, what do you want us to do? Stand on the street corner and put a sandwich board on and say, the end is near. You're all going to, you know, turn or burn, fly or fry. Uh, you know, the rapture is coming and the end of the world is near. Um, well, people did that and uh, that, that kind of came off a little wacko and probably not a great idea. But there are ways, I believe, that you and I can talk about what the Bible says. Um, you know, the context of the days we live right now are really kind of amazing. I mean, people sense something's up. I was talking to a guy just today, uh, not a Christian, but, uh, you know, he, I told him I was a pastor because he asked. And he, um, and he said, well, you know, man, you know, what, what do you think about all this stuff that's going on in the world? And it's like, uh, are you really asking, you want to ask me that? Because I've got some few thoughts, you know, I, I can say a few things about this. And, uh, but he was truly interested. And I was able to just say, well, you know, this, this is what the Bible says the, the last days are going to look like. And I, I was able to kind of just go over some of the things that Jesus talked about. And, and, um, and he said, man, you know, where did you read that? Like, and I was able to even say, you know, go home and read Matthew chapter 24, and, uh, you know, and check out what, you know, Second Peter talks about in the last days. And, you know, I, I was able to kind of point him in a direction. And, um, you know, but I, I thought it's cool because this guy kind of had an inquisitive mind about the days we're living and a, a non-believer. Um, could it be the Lord wants to use you in a day where people really are scratching their heads wondering what in the world's going on? Why are things so crazy right now? Um, interesting, you know, I, I'm you know, tracking very closely this whole thing that's going on with the COVID-19 thing. And, you know, as of today, Governor Brown came out with more unclear direction <laughs> for the state. Uh, but Washington County, Multnomah County, Clackamas County, which we happen to be in, 
um, they're sort of clapping down more and reversing. And um, it's kind of a bummer because I was kind of hoping we'd sort of move more toward the unlocking direction. Um, but, um, you know, the, the funny narrative is that the, the, it's a little tricky for me and, and people that tend to have, you know, thoughts about this or, you know, is that the thing that we're seeing is, is you know, while the governors and the mayors are celebrating the protests, people arm in arm by the thousands in downtown um, every night, uh, that's, that's good. But churches are called super spreaders. And, and man, there was one church um, near La Grande this week that kind of came up. And I don't, I don't know how, how much of it is really true. Sometimes I worry about what the, <clears throat> the media is telling us as far as what's true and what's not. But, um, but uh, this church was like a super spreader. And that's what they like to call churches. Churches are super spreaders. It's funny how churches are, are super spreaders, but protests are not super spreaders. And um, there's kind of this narrative out there, and, it's, uh, and it is making some of us start to uh, wonder, you know, what, what is the objective here? And what is really going on here? And I know some of you are like, yeah, Brett, try to catch up. I, I, I think I'm already caught up. I just, I just am trying to be judicious and careful and also, um, you know, wise. Uh, and I'm seeking counsel from good, wise people. I hope you are too. Um, most people that are really opinionated on this uh, are not seeking wise counsel, and they're the people I was talking about earlier tonight. But, um, but if, if, if you would, be praying about that, because these days we're living, you know, it's interesting where the, the one thing that people are finding is real comfort is that their church and their fellowship, uh, the meeting together, that's something we do and have always done and always will do. But it's interesting in these dark days, people are being sort of disrupted in their ability to fellowship and be a part of a church body. And that's why we're encouraging, you know, watch parties and you guys getting together and having, uh, you know, nights where you get people over for Wednesday night Bible study and have dinner and Sunday night worship and Sunday morning and Saturday. Man, we'd love for you guys to get more and more because we need that fellowship and we need to not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. Even though we can't gather in this huge building, we can gather in our homes right now, 25 or less, we got that. Um, but, but all that to say, you know, we have to be careful to, because, you know, the, the, the people of Ephraim, the mindset, the kind of thing that was going on is sort of similar to that of today. And, and the people didn't listen to Isaiah. But I, I find that today is a good time to be talking to other people. And, and there's interestingly, in my experience, there's, there's an ear to hear what the Bible says about the last days. And maybe if you're bold, the Lord might just open up that opportunity for you to share that with some of your coworkers or, you know, just talk about, well, here's what the Bible says. You don't have to be a weirdo about it. The end is near, you know, you're, you're all gonna die, turn or burn, fly or fry, none of that. That was uh, tried in the 60s and 70s and it didn't work very well. Um, uh, uh, the best thing is the love of Christ. By the way, you know, one thing you always need to do is remind people, if you're talking about the end and doom and the, the uh, judgment and wrath of God, don't forget to talk about his grace and his mercy at the same time. It's, it's the Lord's kindness that leads men to repentance, the scriptures say. Um, it's not the Lord's wrath that leads men to repentance. The, the wrath is coming for unrepentant men. But if you talk about the wrath that's coming, and I think we should, um, like Isaiah. <clears throat> but if we're talking about the wrath that's coming, let's also talk about the way out, the way of escape, uh, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You know, that he, he's the way to heaven. 
So this is what Isaiah is trying to do with this people that are prideful. They think they know everything. And Isaiah is saying, man, doom is a coming. So um, Isaiah is um, given this woe to the crown pride of the drunkards of Ephraim. Well, verse five, it goes on and says, in that day shall the Lord of hosts be for a crown of glory and for a diadem of beauty unto the residue of his people. The word residue could also be translated as remnant. Um, the, the small group of people that are not, you know, sucked into the pride of Ephraim, but they're still worshiping the Lord, trusting the Lord. And verse six, it says, and for a spirit of judgment to him that sitteth in judgment and for strength to them that turn the battle to the gate. So this is talking about, um, you know, the people that are still going to walk with the Lord. The Lord is going to be able to be the Lord of hosts. Whenever you see that term, the Lord of hosts, that, that speaks of the Lord who is mighty in battle. The Lord of angelic hosts that are military angels, if you would. He's the Lord of the, those, you know, it sort of reminds me of Joshua where Joshua's getting ready to go into Jericho and then he sees this angel with a flaming sword and, and he says, are you for us or against us? And the answer is no. <laughs> it's a great story. But that's what I picture the Lord of us. You know, this is like a big buff Lord who can wipe out anything with his fatal swift sword. And uh, he's, he's a mighty God in battle, the Bible says. And he's the Lord of hosts. And the Lord will fight for those who follow after him. And that's this beautiful section of scripture here in verses five and six. But they also have erred through wine <clears throat> and through strong drink. Uh, they're out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They're out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision, they stumble in judgment. For all the tables are full of vomit and filthiness so that there is no place clean. Nice little scripture <laughs> as you're sipping wine at your dinner table. Uh, listening to Wednesday Night Bible Study. No, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? The, the wine here. Now, um, it's interesting to me, <clears throat> whenever the Bible talks about alcohol and wine and stuff, it's minimally very much of a strong word of caution, isn't it? You know, um, the New Testament talks about be filled with the Spirit and not with wine, you know. Um, and strong drink, you know, I understand there's a difference between Jack Daniels and maybe a glass of wine. Um, but the truth is... Uh, the, the, the thing about alcohol and the wine thing is, man, the Bible often uses this, this is a very graphic problem. You know, like the, the language here is the vomit spewed on the table and there's people passed out on the table laying in their vomit. That's what this imagery is talking about. It's pretty gross. It reminds me of when I was a high school senior and we were getting ready to go on our senior trip. But, you know, after we graduated that night, a bunch of our seniors went to a big party at a person's house. Me and my friends, we weren't really party animals. We didn't do the, the whole alcohol thing. And so we had a nice night of sleep. The plan was to get up and then take my Volkswagen Squareback Type 3 1971 fuel-injected pancake motor uh, Volkswagen and pick up some of my friends from that party in the morning. And then we were going to drive to where we were going to get on a bus and go to Disneyland and do a kind of a senior trip and stuff. But man, I'll never forget when I came to that house, we, we went and knocked on the door and we opened the door and it would just stink. There were kids laying everywhere, passed out. And it just was horrible. I was like, this is gross. But we found the, there, was, there was a couple people that were supposed to go with us on this senior trip. And 
One of my good friends, she was passed out and she's laying in the couch like this. And so me and a bunch of guys said, hey, come on, wake up, you know. And <clears throat> she sat up like this and looked at us and it was, it was horrifying. I could tell what happened. The night before it looked like she probably vomited in the couch and then passed out and splattered in the vomit and then just was passed out there until we woke her up. When she sat up, her hair was sort of shaped like the couch because of the vomit and the chunks uh, were embedded in her hair. You say, Brett, that's a horrible story. Yeah, but that's what I think of when I read verses like this. Uh, you know, this whole thing, you know, they don't show that part on the, you know, um, uh, you know, they don't teach you that part when people are saying, hey, let's party. You know, they're not talking about the, the barfing, you know, and all the, the just feelings, you know, the, uh, what do they call it? You know, the day after, the morning after, um, whatever they call that, you know, where you're not feeling so hot. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, I've just felt that, that in, in our culture, the whole alcohol thing in American culture especially has been so abused and so um, misused. And I, as a pastor, I'm always dealing with stuff with people in alcohol, whether it's drunk drivers who've killed people, I've done funerals for those, um, or wives being beat by their husbands who drink too much, or you know, all, all kinds of abuses of alcohol. You know, I just, I'm so glad I just don't even wanna be a part of any of that. I, I've just chosen to be a teetotaler. Now, you, you guys that drink wine, you're always like, oh, Brett, you're such a fuddy-duddy. Guilty as charged, but I'd rather not stumble our brothers and sisters who struggle with alcohol in our culture. We've got so many people who are like that. I, I'm so thankful for my staff and my leadership team who, when they come on staff and when they, when they come, when they, um, when they, you know, when they are on leadership, elders and deacons, they, they choose to say, we're just not going to be given to alcohol or wine. That's part of our, you know, staff handbook, um, and it's part of our uh, our agreement that everybody has. And it's not because we say the Bible says thou shalt not drink. That's not what we believe. Um, people can drink if they want to, and they can do it freely. Uh, but you can't be drunk with wine. That's sin. The Bible says that drunkenness is a sin. But I love that our staff and leadership are willing to take that hit and say, okay, we're going to be sober. We're not going to be given to alcohol because we don't want to stumble our brothers. And, um, and, you know, um, even so, the Bible says, you know, Proverbs talks about it's not for kings, O Lemuel, to be given to strong drink or wine, lest you forget the law and pervert good judgment. And I need all the good judgment I can get. I, I have a hard enough time being sober trying to make good decisions. How am I going to do that, you know, uh, when there's alcohol involved? And I would say that's true with alcohol and drugs uh, as well. Um, seems like people make really bad decisions oftentimes when they're uh, inebriated or under the influence of intoxicants. Um, and so um, that's just the, the, the decision we've made as a leadership team and as a staff thing. It's not a legalistic thing. I know Athey Creek gets the reputation as being the legalistic church about alcohol. Um, if you know our heart, that's not it at all. Um, but it is something that I'm really thankful for because far too many people um, are being hurt by what Isaiah's talking about. So you say, Brett, is, is this literally they're drunk with wine or is this more figuratively? The answer, I don't know. Um, most scholars believe it's both. Most scholars that I've looked at and some commentaries and stuff that they all would say, yeah, they, had to, they were drinking it up. They were, they were just in a party sort of lifestyle and they were fat with food and wine and just, you know, they were all into their thing. And, um, and that's when the Lord says, your, your time's a coming. Judgment's coming. 
Um, but they were also intoxicated, drunk with their own pride and with their know-it-all attitude and all that stuff. So that's what we're seeing here in Isaiah. Again, behaviors we don't even want to be any part of. I hope you're no part of that. We're, we're um, you know, going the way of the world here. Well, it goes on in verse 9. It says, whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing Yet they would not hear. But the word of the Lord was upon, upon them, precept upon precept, uh, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here, there, here a little, there a little. Um, and it says that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. You say, Brett, this is Isaiah. You know, Isaiah is a tough book. Some people say Isaiah is a tough book, and it's sections like this that are tricky. What's, what in the world is he talking about? Precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Why is he repeating himself, and what's he doing? Well, this is where it's kind of hard to explain because you and I aren't speaking Hebrew right now. If we were to speak this in Hebrew, there, there's a cadence to what he was saying here, um, and it's got meaning to it that is... Um, it's kind of inferring baby talk. Um, like what Isaiah is saying is just a bunch of baby talk. Um, but it's got a sort of a sound to it. It's kind of like, have you ever heard somebody go, neener, 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 that, that kind of thing? You say, what, who says that? Well, little kids on the playground, you know, or whatever, neener, neener, neener. It's just a, a weird sound of n- n- nonsense. That's what he's doing here. When he says, here, there, little, uh, precept upon precept, line upon line, here, little, there, a little, you know, he, what's he saying? He, he's, he's, he's actually saying, this is what the people of, of Israel are saying. The people of Ephraim are saying, come on, Isaiah, what are you doing? You're talking baby talk to us, and we're not children. Um, you know, that's what, it's, it's sort of like the men of Ephraim are asking the question in verse 9, to whom shall he teach knowledge? You know, which one of you guys going to, who's going to teach us knowledge? And whom shall make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. Hey, we're not children, Isaiah, teaching us line upon line, precept upon precept. We already know all this stuff. And, and, and they're sort of using uh, 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 the rhythm and cadence of like a child, neener, neener, neener kind of thing. Are you guys with me on that? I hope you understand. It's something you miss when you're not reading the original Hebrew text. Now, all that to say, um, they didn't want to hear it because they thought it was childish. Isn't that interesting? Now, one thing about this precept upon precept, line upon line, it's a little bit like what we do here at Athe Creek. Um, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, precept upon precept, line upon line. That's kind of what we do here. And what also is true is there is a certain group out there that says, oh, you guys go through the Bible. It's funny to me that there's certain people and pastors out there who really diminish Bible teaching. And, you know, I've heard good speakers and good Bible teachers. You know, Andy Stanley is the guy who said, you guys that teach through the Bible are cheating. What's that all about? How are we cheating? 
well, it's, you know, he, 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 you can look this up. He said, you guys that are teaching through the Bible are, are cheating. And, and the implication is we're doing nothing but just kind of like reading the Bible. And it's so much more difficult to teach topical sermons or something or more work somehow. Um, but I would argue that that's kind of what the children of Israel are saying. Yeah, Isaiah, we're sick of hearing what you've got to say. Precept upon precept, line upon line. We already know all this stuff. But the truth is, through the Bible teaching, to me, precept upon precept, line upon line, that's the way to go. We're not going to skip anything. We're going to cover the whole Bible. We're going to talk about every topic. We're not going to skip anything. You've you got to deal with everything. Um, and I believe, um, I, I do have to argue with Anne, I do thinking through the Bible is easier in some ways. Let me tell you why I think teaching verse by verse is easier. My pastor friends, that when I nail them down, say, why don't you go through the Bible? Man, it's awesome. They'll say, are you kidding? You have to go through the book of Numbers, Leviticus, Revelation. Man, how do you do that? We don't want to do that. And they're almost freaked out. Like the pastors that I talk to are a little nervous about teaching through the Bible. They're afraid of it. That's the truth. Because there's difficult subjects. And if you're just doing topical teachings, you can only talk about the stuff you're comfortable with. But, um, but the truth is, through the Bible, I think it's hard because of that. Here's where it is easier, though. I know what I'm doing. I don't have to go home and think, oh, what am I going to teach next Sunday? Well, I happen to know I'll be somewhere around Isaiah, well, at the rate I'm going tonight, probably somewhere Isaiah 29 or 30, uh, you know, for, for our Sunday weekend study. But I already know that. And I know what's going to be the week after that, and the week after that. And, you know, once we get Isaiah knocked out, we're going to hit Jeremiah. And, uh, man, it's, it's just my assignment is clear. I love that. So it's easier, I would say, for that. Um, but the, the good Bible teachers that I know that are going verse by verse through the Bible, um, they're not slackers. That's just, it's work. It's work going through the Bible. I don't think Andy Stanley knows what he's talking about on that one. Um, and I would challenge anybody who knocks going through the Bible. I'm not knocking people who go topical. I haven't. Well, Brett, you said, I, I think through the Bible is a good way to go. Um, and I, I would encourage people to do it. But I also know there's great pastors and great churches that have topical teaching, and that's great. Don't, don't discredit a church just because they're not going through the Bible. Um, I think we have to be careful about that. Uh, but I also uh, really would encourage any pastor who wants a healthy congregation, I think going through the Bible is tough to beat. Uh, covered every single word. Um, well, all that to say, these people are saying, Isaiah, you're going to line upon line. You're treating us like children. We're, we've been weaned from the breast of our mother. Like they're using that kind of language to say, Isaiah, we don't like you. We think you're stupid. <laughs> and we're not going to listen to what you're saying. That, that's basically what they're saying to uh, poor Isaiah. So um, all that to say, um, not to have a bad attitude about learning, listening, hearing. That's the problem with the, the men of Ephraim. They didn't want to hear it from Isaiah. But they should have been listening to him. He's the one guy they should have been listening to. Um, you know, it's interesting because we're living in this world where I was talking about nobody's learning or listening anymore. But here's what you got to do. You got to find people who are wise. Like, who are the wise people? Who, 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 have, who has a, a track record of more than 10 seconds on Facebook? of being an amazing speaker or more than a few minutes of fame because of some sentence they said that seemed intelligent. Um, I, I've noticed that people are so quick to jump on board and think that's all wisdom because they've heard one little sentence or thought from someone who said something witty or funny or like, I think 
that, that's, that's something we should watch out for. You know, we live in a, a youth culture that says, you know, it's, it's all about being young. And, and the Bible talks about that we're to honor the, the gray-headed person, the, the person who's wise. And, and that's a little self-serving because I happen to have been gray since I was 18 years old. I had gray hair. But, but all that to say, uh, I'm not saying that about me. I'm just saying that, that the idea is find the older people that have lived some life and, and have some wisdom. I know this is true of every generation. You know, the younger people say, what do those old people know? And, you know, and it's, it's, there's nothing new about that. But I, I do wonder if today, more than ever, people are listening to and jumping on board with worldviews of people that have had 10 seconds of fame that aren't necessarily wisdom. Um, just because they have a TV program or because they're popular even, or because they starred in a great movie uh, or sang an awesome song and won a Grammy or something. Just because they say something doesn't mean that that's real wisdom. And oftentimes you'll find the person that has real wisdom will tell you stuff you don't wanna hear. That's the truth of the matter. If you're hearing stuff all the time, yeah, yeah, I love that, that's awesome. And I really agree with that. Man, you should be worried. If, if you're only liking the stuff that you like, um, then you might be one of those people that are not uh, learning, not able to grow and learn. You, you need to stretch yourself and find someone who doesn't always say what you want to hear, but definitely is willing to say what you need to hear. And I found that the older generation can still do that. Uh, they've lived some life and they've seen stuff. Uh, and inevitably it comes around, it really does. So, man, wouldn't it be great if we kind of bypass some of the things that are happening in the world today in your life by not just you know, being sucked into worldviews that are really just wrong. But going with the, the wisdom, people that actually have some, some wisdom to offer. Um, man, the wise person seeks after wisdom, uh, but the foolish person goes to the latest fad or fancy. Well, these people didn't want to hear it. Verse 14, it says, Wherefore, hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men. That's the people of Ephraim scorning Isaiah that rule this people which is in Jerusalem, that's the people of Judah, because you have said we have made a covenant with death and with hell are we at agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us, for we have made lies our refuge and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. In a couple of chapters, we're gonna see what Isaiah's talking about here in these last couple of verses. Here's the deal. What, what we're seeing here is, is Isaiah talking about when the, the children of Jerusalem start to make um, plans to protect themselves. And that what they do is they, they do this kind of harebrained idea of aligning themselves with Egyptians. They're going to make an alliance. In chapter 30, we're going to see where Isaiah says, Woe unto you that take the counsel of men and not of God. He's going to say that. But this is sort of the foreshadow. What is he saying? He's saying, you guys think you're safe. It says here, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death and with hell, we are in agreement. This is Isaiah being sort of sarcastic. He's saying, yeah, you guys have made a covenant with death and hell. Not a great friend, not someone you want to make a covenant with, death and hell, but that's what you've done. That's what Isaiah is saying. Again, remember, wisdom comes oftentimes in things you don't want to hear. I'm reminded of the king that asked for the prophets of Israel to come, and the prophet said, yes, go and do it. And then they said, well, there's one prophet that we haven't heard from, and 
Um, you know, Micah, we don't like Micah. And they will go get Micah. And he prophesied against everybody else. He says, see, I told you this prophet always says bad things. But he was the one guy that was talking about the Lord's truth. Um, oftentimes, truth is the minority, uh, not just the, the going with the crowd. Any dead fish could go with the flow. But sometimes the Lord calls you and me to go, go upriver and go against the stream. That's, that's more difficult sometimes. But here Isaiah is saying, man, you guys, everybody thought, oh, it's so cool, we made an alliance. We've signed a contract, a covenant with the Egyptians. But he says, that was death and hell that you made an agreement with. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us. For we have made lies our refuge under falsehood if we hit ourselves. Man, Isaiah's making fun of them. You guys have made yourselves, you know, lies thinking you're okay and safe, but you're not. Now, with that said, this is, again, a dual fulfillment, I believe, of, of prophecy. He's talking about, you know, making a, a deal with the Egyptians and trying to protect themselves from the Assyrians. But it also, the gaze could go past because we know the story from the book of Revelation. Do you remember, Daniel chapter 9 says the Jews are going to sign a covenant with this coming world leader, often called the Antichrist. He's also called the son of perdition, the, the, um, the Assyrian. This coming world leader, the Jews are gonna sign a covenant with Antichrist. And it's the same thing. They're signing with death and hell. Um, they're, they're signing to their own hurt and they think they're gonna be protected by it. But remember what's gonna happen in the tribulation period. And Daniel talks about this, Jesus talks about this, the book of Revelation talks about this, where in the middle of the tribulation period, this world leader, Antichrist, is gonna come and, and uh, reveal himself to be who he is. And that covenant, the Jews are gonna realize, oops, we shouldn't have been making a covenant with him. And they will flee to the wilderness of Edom and Moab, which is Petra, We've talked about that in previous studies. Um, but this is the same thing here. This is Isaiah talking about a covenant that they're making with the Egyptians. And it's sort of pictures and foreshadows the covenant that they'll make in the future still with Antichrist. But now we have this little verse that's just amazing. Verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, he that believeth shall not make haste. Wow, this is, this is great. You know, this is Isaiah giving the good news. Now, when you're, when you're, this is what I was talking about. Remember I told you, go ahead and tell people about the end of the world. Tell them about what's happening. But you also got to give the good news. And this is where Isaiah weaves into his message. Yeah, your alliance with Egyptians, that's death and hell. But guess what? I lay in Zion a cornerstone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Man, and this cornerstone, if you're, if you're a Bible student, you know who this and what this stone is, don't you? Um, maybe even if you're not that good of a Bible student, you might even know some songs. There was old songs saying about the cornerstone um, that was rejected. See, Isaiah doesn't talk about the rejection part, but this is the stone he's talking about. Um, jot down a few scriptures. Maybe if you're one who writes in your Bible, you could write next to this verse some uh, scriptures. Psalm 118, the, David writes about this same stone. Um, in Psalm 118, verse 22, it says, the stone which the builders refused is become the head of the cornerstone, the capstone, the chief cornerstone, the, 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 the prettiest, most important stone. I lay in Zion, uh, Isaiah says, a stone but it was one that the builders rejected, according to David. Now in 1 Peter, uh, 
it says this, and I'll just read it to you in chapter 2, 1 Peter 2, verses 6 through 8. It says, um, wherefore, this is Peter kind of quoting from uh, the psalmist in Isaiah. Um, he says, wherefore, it is also contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. He that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Um, unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious, the precious cornerstone. But to them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. See, it's Peter who puts those two together. Psalm 118, uh, Isaiah 28, the precious cornerstone of Isaiah, the rejected stone of Psalm 118, he says, it's the same stone. And he said, to those that believe and follow Jesus, that stone is precious. But to the people who don't believe that are still in their sins, um, that are disobedient, he is the stone, as he goes on in verse 8, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto they also were uh, appointed. And this is where, again, we see he's either a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, or he's a, a, a rock of blessing and of foundation, um, a sure-footed stone, you know. Um, now, um, this is interesting because um, when, when we read about this, uh, this stone, um, there's actually an old story, if you, and you can find it out there if you go look it up. Um, the rabbis talk about a thousand years before Christ when Solomon built the temple. They, they tell this little story that has to do with their Jewish scripture, the Hebrew Bible of Psalm 118 and, um, and also um, the, um, the book of Isaiah. And they believe that was fulfilled. The story from Psalm 18, David wrote about it prophetically about the rejected stone. They talk about when, when they built Jerusalem's temple there during the time of Christ. If you remember, the disciples took Jesus to go see the temple. Herod the Great was sort of, you know, but uh, the rebuilding. But they, they, there's a story the rabbis tell about when the Jews actually were building the temple. That they, they had a rule that they couldn't um, chisel stones in Jerusalem where people were trying to pray, the holy city. Um, so they would hew these stones in a quarry miles away. And, and to this day, a lot of people wonder, how did they get these giant stones that they chiseled from the quarries to Jerusalem? It's one of those ancient wonders of the ancient world. Nobody really knows how they did it, let alone put them in place. It's, it's a major thing when you see these. Some of these stones are like the size of, of a school bus, you know, that Solomon put on the temple. But this is extra biblical. This is what the rabbis teach that when they first started building, they had plans. Each stone was pre-engineered and they literally had like drawings of what these stones needed to be, how big and their dimensions, and they were perfect. But the very first stone that came was a weird shaped stone. Now, this is a weird stone. Where does it go? They said, this is whatever. And they threw it off to the side of the construction job. And then one by one, they just started bringing the stones according to the plans and started building the temple. Um, but as the, they came to completion, they realized, wait a minute, we got everything done. All the stones are here, according to the quarry, but we're missing the cornerstone. And, and by this time, this was years later, the rejected stone that they first got was grown, overgrown by weeds, and they had to dig it out of the weeds and the rubbish and say, well, where was that old stone? And as it turns out, that was the most important stone of the whole building. It was the capstone that was the most beautiful, that fit perfectly in place um, and completed the whole deal. And the rabbis talk about that as more of a moral lesson. You know, don't be careful. Don't just reject 
the, the stone that you don't understand what God is doing, you know, and there's other applications that they make with that. But you and I, as New Testament believers, know there's even a greater picture. Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the most important one. He's the stone. But they threw him off and rejected him for a season. But there's coming a time where the Jews are going to say, man, we're missing something here. They'll do that when the Antichrist comes to set himself up to be worshipped, and they'll realize Jesus is the Messiah. And they'll go, where, where is that? The old story of Jesus, the Jew from Galilee, the, the thing that Christians for all these hundreds of years, thousands of years have been following, they'll realize that he is, in fact, the chief cornerstone, and they'll bring him and they'll finish the, the work that they're doing. There's a great story there, and that's why Peter talks about the stone which the builders rejected. Now, the point is eventually you need to either accept that stone or you're going to continue to reject that stone. But this is the, the stone that God says through Isaiah, I lay in Zion a foundation, a stone, a tried precious cornerstone, um, sure foundation, he that believeth shall not make haste. Well, Brad, I'm confused. Is it a cornerstone or is it a capstone? The answer is yes. We see both actually spoken of when it comes to Jesus. Uh, in different contexts, in different ways in the Bible. Sometimes we talk about a sure foundation. Sometimes we talk about the capstone, <clears throat> but it's nonetheless, Jesus is that stone. We could talk about even at greater length, um, you know, this stone uh, and why sometimes it's a foundation stone and others is it's a capstone. Um, and it has to do with the finishing of a project and the beginning of a project. And when Jesus was a part of the beginning and the end, um, I'm giving you some hints there uh, for you Bible students who want to dig a little deeper. Um, but all that to say, this is a beautiful, beautiful verse. I lay in Zion a precious cornerstone, a foundation stone. Man, we could camp out on that one for forever, really. Well, verse 17, judgment also will I lay to the line and righteousness to the plummet. And the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies and the water shall overflow the hiding place. And your covenant with death, this is that, you know, pact with the Egyptians, uh, this contract, this uh, treaty, um, shall be disannulled. And your agreement with hell shall not stand. Uh, when the overflowing scourge shall pass through, then ye shall be trodden down by it. From the time that it goeth forth, it shall take you. For morning by morning shall it pass over, by day and by night it shall be a vexation only to understand the report. For the bed is shorter than that a man can stretch himself on it, and the covering narrower than he that can wrap himself in it. This is, this is basically the Lord saying, you're going down, you're going to have trouble um, because you've rejected my truth. Um, and if you would, he's, he's saying, you've made your bed, you're going to have to sleep in it. That's the idea. Uh, did you guys ever play that joke on people where you short-sheeted someone's bed? That's kind of what Isaiah's talking about here. You, you know, you made this bed, but it's too short for you to put your feet in, and it's too narrow for you to actually sleep on. Um, and you've made your bed, you're going to have to sleep in it, and it's not going to be good. That's the idea. Now, by the way, those that walk in their own pride and say, I don't need God, and I can sin, and I can do whatever I want, and who cares what God thinks about my sin? You're like these people. If you're just re rejecting God and rejecting his word, it's amazing how our culture is calling evil good and good evil. 
And, you know, even our Supreme Court made some rulings this week, you know, and it's amazing, you know, we all kind of wondered about this particular Supreme Court. Maybe there's hope that there's going to be some good decisions made. Well, this week there were some really bad decisions made and very much against what the Bible teaches. And, you know, our world celebrates as they fly in the face of God and in the face of the Bible. But this is where that all leads to. And people have made their bed, they're going to have to sleep in it, and God's wrath is coming. It's just like Isaiah says. Um, And it's tragic to me that people are so celebratory of rejecting God. And uh, that's, that's so sad to see where our culture is going. That's why we need to be, more than ever, a light in the dark, dark world. We need to speak the truth. We need to speak it in love, but we nonetheless need to speak the truth. And um, people talk about silence is violence. Well, that's true because it's all going to end in radical violence, but the violence is coming from the Lord to those who, you know, rebel against the Lord. And we as Christians, we've got a job to do. Go out into all the world and preach the gospel. That's what we're supposed to do. Make disciples, baptize people. Don't get caught up in all the other things that they want you to start chanting and saying and speaking about. Man, it's the love of Christ that's the answer to all these things. Let's, let's do what Jesus taught us to. Let's stick with the, the message. Stay on message here um, and not be easily duped by all the other messages that are out there. I know that there's some people that vehemently disagree with me on this one. And uh, they can if they wish. That's up to them. But I, as for me, I'm just going to keep preaching Jesus because he's the the one who's changing people. He's the one who has the power to save people. Well, it goes on, verse 21, for the Lord shall rise up as in Mount Perazim. He shall be wroth as in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his strange work, and bring uh, bring to pass his act, his strange act. Now therefore, be ye not mockers, lest your bands be made strong. For I have heard from the Lord God of hosts a consumption even determined upon the whole earth. Now this is where Isaiah's gaze definitely goes past Jerusalem and Ephraim. He says, I see a day coming where the Lord's wrath is going to be on the whole earth. That didn't happen back in the Assyrian deal. Um, It's going to happen in the future. I hope that this is where you have to admit that the prophecy has not been fully fulfilled Um, of Isaiah. Some people try to say, yeah, it's all fulfilled. Well, this didn't come on the whole earth yet, but it will. And the Bible talks a lot about when the Lord pours out his wrath upon the whole earth. By the way, mark the word parazim there in verse 21, because it's, it's a, it's, it, to the Jews, it sort of had a meaning that we miss. Parazim was the place where God intervened and did radical things that were strange and exciting. You know how it says here that he might do his work, a strange work, Um, He's talking about how God intervenes and does miraculously strange and incredible kinds of things. He did that at Perazim several times. Perazim was synonymous with God intervening miraculously. You can jot down next to uh, uh, Perazim there, you know, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 5 verse 20, um, you know, and also uh, Joshua chapter 10 verse 10. Those are two incidents that happened that you can go back and read later about God's miraculous delivery of the children of Israel, delivering them from the enemy, miraculously so. And so Perazim becomes synonymous with the Lord intervening in a strange way, radical way. And, uh, and that's, that's going to happen, and it's all determined upon the whole earth, verse 22. Verse 23, give ye ear and hear my voice, hearken and hear my speech. Do you get the sense that Isaiah's wishing people would listen up? 
Sometimes as a pastor, I feel like that. I want to say, listen, everybody. You know, it's like you want to grab people and shake them and say, listen, don't you see what's happening? Uh, I know that some of you feel that way right now. Um, and Isaiah had to deal with that. Nobody. Now, Isaiah is going to have a tough time with people. Wait till we get to Jeremiah. Poor Jeremiah. Jeremiah ministered for 42 years and not one person ever listened to a word he ever said. Not one person. No one said, you know what, Jeremiah, I think you're onto something. I think we're going to go with what you're saying. Not one time. Do you think you'd want to hang it up? Just say, oh man, nobody's ever listened to me. There were times where Jeremiah says, oh, I, I, I am no longer going to speak the word of the Lord. That's what he says. I give up. And then he says, but I had this burning in my bones. He, 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 he said, I give up, but the Lord's like stirring up in his bones. Oh, but I gotta, I'm not going to stop speaking the word of the Lord. Um, you know, you might be the same way where you can speak to people. They just aren't listening. But you never really know who's listening and you never know where your words are going to land. Even though Jeremiah was the most unlistened to prophet of all the prophets, you, you might call him the biggest loser of all the prophets. But what I love about Jeremiah is, did you know that Jesus quoted Jeremiah the prophet more than any of the other Old Testament prophets? The guy that nobody listened to, Jesus quoted more than Isaiah, more than, you know, Jonah. Jonah would be the guy who would give a medal. He went into the city, said, oh, repent, and everybody repented. They all listened to him. He must have been an amazing guy. Nope, the Lord just used a fool to <laughs> speak words of truth. Um, but Jeremiah, man, he was a faithful you know, person who put his whole life into this and nobody listened. It's okay if nobody listens, but you should still speak the truth nonetheless. Let the Lord let those words fall on ears as he wishes. Isaiah's gonna have to do that too. So he says, he's, he's almost crying out, give ear, listen up. He says in verse 23, hear my voice, hearken and hear my speech. He goes on verse 24, doth the plowman plow all day to sow? Doth he open and break the clods of his ground? When he hath made plain the face thereof, doth he not cast abroad the fitches and scatter the cumin and cast in the principal wheat and the appointed barley and the rye in their place? For his God doth instruct him to discretion and doth teach him. For the fitches are not threshed with a threshing instrument, neither is a cartwheel turned about upon the cumin, but the fitches are beaten out with a staff and the cumin with a rod. Bread corn is bruised because he will not ever be threshing it, nor break it with the wheel of his cart, nor bruise it with his horsemen. Now, some of you are saying, huh, what? Um, so now, we're kind of running out of time, and I, I don't really want to go into all the farming techniques of ancient Israel. You could do that here and find out what in the world they're talking about. But basically, this is the Lord saying through Isaiah, the farmer can do whatever he wants to do to make his farm good. And you know, if he's gonna plant the corn, he's, or he, he can take corn and crush it and make a meal out of it, or he can plant the seeds and he can you know, do it in certain kinds of rows and he has to be careful where he drives his car. Like he's talking about the way you farm and how it's successful and the farmer can do whatever he wants. And that's the idea. So Isaiah is basically saying, you know, the, 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 the thing here is that God is the farmer and he knows how to handle and grow a crop. God's gonna do what he says he's gonna do in the way that he's gonna do it and nobody's gonna stop him. And it's gonna be right and it's gonna be fruitful. And that's how he ends verse 29. It says, this also cometh forth from the Lord of hosts, which is wonderful in counsel, excellent in working. Man, the Lord is giving good counsel through Isaiah and if the people would have ears to hear what God would say, they will do well. 
But if they don't listen to God and they blow off the counsel of Isaiah, they're going to fail and they're going to be messed up. It's really quite simple. Isaiah is using all this flowery, powerful language to try to help get the people to listen up. But um, sadly, a lot of them just really won't. So they end up doomed because they would not hear, they would not listen to the word of God. That's the bummer of it. May that never be true of you and me. Lord, give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church, that we be not just hearers only, but doers of the word. You and I live in a day right now where it's, there's no time to be messing around. We, we don't need immature believers that are sort of, you know, um, weakened by every whim and fancy of this world. Everything you read on social media and everything you're hearing on the news and stuff, I feel like Christians are being tossed to and fro. Um, we need people like Isaiah that say, you know, you can call what I'm saying baby talk and you can stand around and say that what I'm saying is stupid, but I'm gonna keep saying it. And God knows what he's doing. The word is true. When God says it, it's as good as a done deal. And for you and I, not to be arrogant or prideful, but to be humble and say, Repent, turn to the Lord, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you can be saved. Repent of your sins and, and have that message. It's not gonna be a popular message. That's not why we're here though, to be popular. We're here to be light in this dark world and some people don't like the light. They're like bugs under a rock. What, what's that light, you know? And, and, um, and some people are irritated when you shine the light on their situation. But you're still called to be light. The Bible talks about how men love the darkness because their deeds are evil. Um, so when you shine the light of Christ, some people, it rubs them the wrong way. But we're not doing it just to rub people the wrong way. We're, we're there to speak the truth that people might have ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church. Isaiah is a 2020 kind of guy. He was living in a day where nobody was listening and everybody was doing what was right in their own sight. And they mocked and made fun of him. And they said, we're not children. We know more today than what you know, prophet Isaiah. But Isaiah just kept on speaking the truth, even though they thought they knew more. They actually didn't, and they all were doomed. May that not be true of us. May we be the people that are speaking the truth of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, this book of Isaiah is um, kind of amazing, Lord. I remember back when we went through this in 2005, how it was difficult um, to kind of teach through it and um, to know how it really applies, but Lord, in 2020, I feel that this book applies like a key fits into a lock and how it opens the door. Lord, I feel like Isaiah is so applicable today, Lord, of, of the days we live. Just how Isaiah had to move and minister. Lord, I feel a lot of times that we today have to move and minister in the same way. But I, like Isaiah, I pray that we wouldn't lose heart. I pray that we just keep speaking the truth in love and just telling people what the word says and lovingly pointing out that the Lord laid in Zion a precious cornerstone, a firm foundation, that people can be saved and be moved from this shaky world that's building their house on the sand where the wise men can build their house on the rock, the sure foundation. Lord, give us words to say. Give us the right heart and attitude. Help us not to be sucked into just the dumb stuff of this world, the dumb thoughts and so-called experts that think they know stuff that's contrary to what your word says. Help us to see through it, Lord. So we commit our, our, just our hearts and our minds, Lord, that you would, 
that you would, your truth would win out in our own hearts and our minds, that it would push aside all the worldviews and the stuff <laughs> that's contrary to your truth. But Lord, I pray that all of this, we'd still have everything seasoned with grace, spoken in love, in power and authority, but also in kindness, Lord, for you are good, kind, and compassionate. Give us that perfect balance, I pray, Lord. And so we take this time and pray you'd bring good fruit, Lord, in, in our lives. I pray that you'd use this time and, Lord, that we'd be equipped as the church to be lights in this dark world. In Jesus' name, amen.